Welcome to the Men Among Demons podcast. In a disoriented world, this is the podcast that asks what would happen if we truly put Christ at the center of our thinking. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Opperwall. And I'm your host, Dr. Greg Weeb. Hi, Greg. Hey, man. Well, Greg, I thought um, maybe this uh, this episode we could talk about uh, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, who just departed this life a couple days ago. Okay. Of blessed memory. Yeah, of blessed memory. Um, long live the king. Long live the king. Uh, but yeah, um, I don't know. I don't have a whole lot more direction than that, although I think there's there's a lot to consider with her departure in terms of what she represented symbolically, how our political system works in Canada, what what a monarchy is, what democracy is. There's a lot of different directions I can imagine this conversation going. Um, yeah. What do I don't, why don't we kick it off? What did you think of uh, Queen Elizabeth II? What were your thoughts on her? Oh, yeah. That's a, oh, that's a good question. In general, you know, and I, like I'm not necessarily... The, the, you know, the, the deepest into these things, but the, the impression that I was left with at its most, ba- you know, sort of general level um, after these years is that she was a good, a really good monarch, a really good monarch um, for Canada uh, and, f- and for the United Kingdom, as far as I can tell. And, uh, but unfortunately um on on the parental side you know had some shortcomings as a mother and it sure makes me think about the realities of having a queen you know what i mean especially one who came in so young Mm. yeah one who came in so young with children so young like it's so it's it was so much to ask she had to give everything to the crown And, um, and one wonders what, and, and yet kids still need their mother, but their mother is, has a, has a higher calling. But anyways, yeah, I think, uh, I think she's a good queen. Um, it was a weird time, right? Like it's a weird time to preside and to preside for so long over so much change in a certain sense. Right. But yeah, what were you going to ask or what were you going to say? What made her a good queen? Like, why? What's, I mean, the thing that strikes me there is that she's an interesting person to have in mind when reflecting on what what it means as a Christian to be a leader, a political leader, or any kind of leader, how that role works. Uh, because it, it, to, my, to my mind, she did things rather differently than most world leaders, um, to some degree, perhaps because of the privilege of being a, a proper monarch, you know, not mm-hmm. not beholden to any voters, uh, mm-hmm. not needing to answer to the to whatever whims of the populace might might be, you know, de jour. Um, but also just f- coming from the political culture she came from, and and the you know the family culture she came from, and just being the person she was as an individual as well. Um, mm-hmm. but what, what about her was good? Do you think? I mean, probably the very thing that makes the monarchy seem so irrelevant, 
um, which is which is sort of staying out of the way. I mean, I think there's one could feel really ambivalent about about a lot of things. I think um, you know, at times, like there's been so much social change and social upheaval. Um, f- from the time from the time of her coronation until now, I mean, the like to to see through to the other side of you know the sexual revolution, uh, and um, you know into into sort of late late capitalism and and the you know the technocratic or you know technopolitical shift that we've seen like it's a really different it's a really different culture. Um, but I do think, you know, in ter- especially about like the sexual revolution and kind of the, which seems to be um, the, the source of the church's sort of greatest, um, you know, the thing that the church, ha- the greatest contention of the church at the moment, mm-hmm. like the thing that I feel like that the thing, the biggest thing that our church has to contend with has to do with, um, you know, its sexual ethic. Um, and, and so in a certain sense, you know, you'd want, you'd want, I don't know if these, I don't know if these thoughts are just going to be a little too far, uh, a little too abstract to be able to, to, to rein in and, and, uh, and seem practical, but it's like in some sense, well, it's because, because, you know, the whole Charles and Diana thing, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know. I don't. Uh, it just seems like you want more direction. It seems like you want more direction and leadership in a certain way from from a monarch, and yet the strength of the monarch here was in letting the people do the thing that that they saw fit, right? mm-hmm. and that at one and the same time makes the makes the monarch, uh, tra- like. In that it was in that way that the that the monarch that the queen transcended um, politics, which I think the queen needs to do. I mean, the strongest aspect of the queen, like the strongest aspect of the monarchy, is to me is that, and the whole the whole point is that the queen or the monarch, right now the king, King Charles the uh, Third, embodies in his person the entire political body above all our political strife right uh the the queen stayed above and out of the political fray which is where all those sort of most important decisions about ethics and morals of society and political directions that's where they all happen they happen in that political fray and the whole thing you want is that like that that the monarch sits above that so that she and now he can be in her person the entire body, uh, uh, you know, beyond transcending those political divisions. That no matter if you and I disagree about whether we should vote for this party and maybe we're for or against abortion or this or that, that we have that that we exist in a political unity that is sacramentally bound in the person of the monarch. And that's the thing that means that Canada actually has an existence that isn't reducible to its, you know, political contestations. I think that's super, super important. But being above, like, but but remain, you know, for the monarch to remain lofty and above that political fray is also is also the kind of thing that makes it 
feel irrelevant that uh, that makes you know like right at the moment where you want truth to reign exactly in truth and unity to reign exactly in the in the political squabbling is the point at which the monarch has to remain lofty and out of the fray. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, she ultimately, or he now, um, you know, the monarchy in Canada ultimately wields virtually no right. meaningful power. There are there are a couple of meaningful duties that are carried out by the governor general uh, in the absence of the king being here or the queen. Um and they matter a bit more than I think a lot of people fully recognize because most Canadians have no idea how our political system functions at all. They mm-hmm. not even the slightest clue. Most Canadians don't even know who our head of state is. So to say right. nothing about, uh, you know, how it all works. So I think those functions actually matter more than many people give them credit for, but they're not, um, you know, they don't matter that much. Uh, they're, they're sort of um, administrative types of functions with respect to when and how parliament's going to dissolve and when and how governments are going to get recognized, uh, as such. Um, and that's all, you know, that's always the critique of the monarchy. Well, this is so stupid, you know, they don't, they don't do anything, but mm-hmm. I think that that's, that's itself really a really interesting thing to observe the fact that that bothers us the mm-hmm. fact that in a place like Canada, we take for granted that, you know, there is no value to a leader who doesn't, you know, directly and immediately impact the political process and political decision making. And I think most human cultures throughout history would probably think that that point of view is very weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, very, very, very weird because of course you need uh, symbolic leadership. Of course you need somebody who like, well, like you were just saying represents and embodies the thing that, that we are. Of course you need a sovereign. Um, You know, the, the longer I've lived in Canada, the more kind of insane the United States seems to me at, at a kind of conceptual level. Right. Um, I, I don't just mean at a pragmatic level. It is quite insane pragmatically right now, but, <laughs> but that comes and goes and that can happen in Canada and that can happen in the UK as well. So I, I don't know that, you know, we're drastically superior all the time, maybe doing better right at this moment, but, but conceptually, like what, what is the United States? Like, right. It's just a bunch of people on a piece of land, I guess, with, there's no sovereign. There's no sovereign of the United States. It, it's really, it's really important to me in my mind that here in Canada, you know, we say the queen doesn't do anything, but the one job that she has, or now the king has, and that the governor general as an extension has, is to ensure that the people are governed because we are the king's people. We were the queen's people. We were her majesty's people. She was our sovereign. Right. And our government has a duty to govern her people. Yeah. And they have to do that. And if they do not do that, the parliament will be dissolved and we will have a new election to send new representatives who will, who will do so. If they fail, we'll dissolve it again. And we'll keep doing that until there is a government that can hold the confidence of parliament to 
pass laws, especially crucial laws like a budget and so forth. And it's it's sort of interesting to me in the United States, you can get, and this has been happening lately in the United States, you can get these budget crises where the government just shuts down and there is no mechanism right to say you guys you all need to get your act together if the if the congress and the president cannot agree to you know increase the debt ceiling in the united states everything just grinds to a halt and you have a bunch of these little contingency rules that allow certain really really important functions to kind of keep going but the last time this happened uh we were starting to get pretty close to where there wasn't going to be there really was going to be no money in the bank and no wow. one really knew what would happen, but there is, there is no mechanism in the United States of America for that to ever end. You could just have a Congress and a president who just come to a standstill. And it's like that for years, years and years. And there's no one to say, no, you are failing to govern my people. You're done. You're done here. Uh-huh. I'm going to return to those same people and I'm going to ask right. them to send me new representatives and ministers who will govern. Right. And it's not that I'm going to tell you how to govern or what to do. <laughs> and that's the thing I think you were pointing at that Queen Elizabeth was really was really excellent at, at um, perhaps out of good sense, but perhaps out of just the fact that she had almost no choice. I mean, if she tried to really throw her weight around, I mean, she'd... she'd be booted there'd be no I, there'd be no queen before long yeah no. and i think there are have there have been instances like again i'm not a historian of the, of the queen's you know reign but i think there have been instances where she has dipped her toe in uh yeah. and at least if the you know if the crown the the netflix series the crown is any ind- indication it, it basically bites her in the ass anytime <laughs> anytime she actually tries to do anything yeah, but I, but it's really like it's really significant, and the way the system ends up actually working in Canada, these things are are in fact pretty important. These conceptual ways of looking at what a country is, what a government is, and what a people is, they matter, and they actually do have pragmatic. Mm-hmm. They have some pragmatic payoffs. There is no one in the United States because there is no sovereign that can say you have to pass a budget. No one can do that. It's because the people just sort of governing themselves, it's just a huge collection of 300 and something million people who are self-sovereign, you know? Right. They don't have an existence as a people outside of that agreement to, to to continue governing as though it is a body. Whereas in, in Canada has an existence as a body, as a people independently of, of the actual political governing of it. It's a prior yeah. existence, right? It exists prior, logically prior, right? Which is exactly why you, you say that, that, that the government has a duty to govern. They have a du- to whom? To whom is the duty? The duty is to the crown. the U.S. government has no duty to anyone to govern except to their own agreement, their own sort of willful agreement. Um, and I think that is, yeah, that is, that is a very meaningful difference. It's, it's that's a just kind of example of where there are some real pragmatic 
there are pragmatic implications of this symbolic way of looking at things. But just the the the, sim, the symbol itself, the way we conceive of the state, is itself just already already significant. I think mm-hmm. already important. Um, and it, I mean, the thing that works against us is that is that the 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 significance of the crown is symbolic in a culture that is used to thinking of symbolic significance as less as a, a less meaningful significance yes. right? as less yeah. meaningful it's a it's a symbolic it's a symbolic headship and identity for a culture that that thinks that symbols and liturgies are you know virtually meaningless um or at least that's been our past. I don't know what our future will, will hold. Uh, you know, it could that symbolism and, and uh, sacramentality liturgy could come back in a real way. Um, but at least, you know, that's the, that's the feeling around, around where, where I live. Right. It's like pe- people, people see symbols and liturgies as being less real. Um, but in fact, they're more real, and this is exactly how they're more real. Because when you when you have them, just having that, just having the crown means certain kinds of things don't happen, right? Just because you have it, and then of course there is like that that ceremonial function, which is which is the highest sort of trans, most transcendent, politically transcendent function, right? The ribbon cutting ceremonies aren't less meaningful; they're more meaningful. Um, Right there, that those are the little liturgies and mechanisms by which that unity, that unity of all people, that transcends political squabbling, is manifest. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And like, what's what is going on with our? I my perception is is as a culture we've moved, we've pushed far away from. Well, as you were saying, we 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 don't want to see those types of symbolic things as important anymore it, to the point that we almost are, we almost seem disdainful of them. Mm-hmm. Like it, not, it, we've, we've gone from, you know, ranking them much lower than, you know, just the pragmatic reality of passing laws as though, you know, that really matters, but mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Symbolic manifestations of, you know, or celebrating Canada on Canada day or, you know, or whatever it is that we do right. has gone from, well, maybe ranking Lord to, to almost being something that we like ridicule. You know, the queen in Canada is often just the target of just brutal mockery. Now, you know, some, some, Jokes, you know, about the queen is is is, is maybe fine. Like some of them are, are perfectly good natured and, and quite friendly, and if anything, even right. positive toward towards her. Right. But but sometimes it's really quite nasty. Like this is just there's a notion that it's just stupid and immature that we would have a monarch, a sovereign, a queen, and a king, uh, and that this seems wild to me. Like what has yeah. happened? within our cultural psyche for us to think of something like symbol, something like a person who represents our values, who, who ought, who ought to be representing the virtues we strive for, uh, you know, who to see that as stupid and immature, what has happened? (laughs) I mean, it's wild. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's these are post-Reformation lands, right? 
breakdown of of sort of liturgical authority is 500 years in the making not i mean not to lay the blame all you know not the protestants fault or something like that but it's but there but there was a real um is a real crisis that has been spinning out uh, and part of part of that part of that has been a despair about the about the meaning of symbols about what, what about what symbols do i think um, I, that's I, how it looks to me. I, mean, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like it makes us potentially quite vulnerable to, to the demonic. Well, yeah, because, because life in some sense cannot, but be symbolically and sacramentally organized. And so if you try, if you try to pretend that you don't have symbols and sacraments, that just allows, allows secret things to fester that are, uh, that aren't, that are flying under the radar for you. Right. I mean, like the example in my own journey, I've I've received the question, I've gotten the question about, you know, uh, when it's come to light that I've moved to orthodoxy and so forth, you know, and it's, you you know, isn't that all just empty ritualism? It's not all just empty ritualism, Mm -hmm. just rich, right? Just ritual, mere ritual. It's like, well, I can't think of an emptier ritualism than the repeated patterns of evangelical worship that I left, frankly, sorry to, but my, my evangelical friends. Um, but like those, those church services, I, you know, I was dying inside and I, and I left for, for reasons that, you know, I can't think of a better image of empty ritualism. That's maybe really harsh to, to say, but anyways, here we are. Um, (laughs) You know, so there, but, but the point is that the point of the illustration, I should say, is that it is possible to be, you know, critical of, of, of ritual and ritualism while, while drinking deep into your own bath waters of your own sort of empty rituals, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's not, it's not a criticism that can be made from a, from a, from a ritualistically neutral standpoint. Everyone's got rituals. We know what we do every day of the week. We know what time we get up and we know what we do when we get up. And that's virtually the same thing every day and happens in the same order. And we get annoyed when things happen out of order and and things change unexpectedly. We know that for, you know, most of us know that Monday to Friday are a little bit different than, than Saturday and Sunday, right? Week, week in, week out. That's not just the church service, right? That's these are all, all ritual symbolic things. Anyways, I'm 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 rambling perhaps a bit. But the yeah, what you're, I think what you're saying is that by by sort of covering over or, or or allowing ourselves to be convinced that we don't have these these rituals, or that they're silly, or or that there's such a thing as empty ritual. That now that's something I kind of want to unpack. Actually, like what on earth does that mean? An empty ritual? But yeah, um, to say those sorts of things just makes us. Yeah, it just makes us more vulnerable to to different kinds of influences because we're in a kind of denial. But I, well, I mean, yeah. I was also thinking too, like like being stripped away from, pushed away from, convinced to mock, you know, rituals that matter. Um, we we divide ourselves and make ourselves far more vulnerable to, you know, the wolf of souls. 
you know, spiritually speaking, and and far more vulnerable to all kinds of other, well, to the same base, really the same forces, but but politically as well, because now it's just kind of every man for himself. There's no tribe, there's no, there's nothing that kind of holds and binds us together. So when you look at Queen Elizabeth II, who's somebody that I just tremendously admired. I was so you know, I cried a little after she died. Yeah. It meant a lot to me, her reign. And it meant a lot to me when I, when I um, promised allegiance to her, right. which is something I did because I became a Canadian. I, well, right. I wasn't I born a Canadian. My children didn't, and born right. Canadians didn't, didn't do that. But I stood up with my hand up in the air and in two languages, English yeah. and French, I said that I would, would be, you know, I, yeah, faithful to you, her and all her heirs and successors, and 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 that I took that very very seriously. Um, but for people I'll, to kind of ridicule that center point of our polity, of our symbolic and ritual polity, as just stupid, um, yeah, like it means that. Well, what what do you think Canada is? Just a nothing. It's a wheel with no with no center. I guess. You know? A little aside. Uh, my my friend at work. Uh, no, uh, heard and noted for me that um, uh, they were in the middle of a citizenship ceremony when she died. Yes, I heard that too. Yes, and so they had to they had to stop. It's like they're in the middle of the ceremony, and then it's like, okay, hold on, whoa, hold on, something's happening. Right, need to stop. And it became clear that that Her Majesty had died, and that there was king, now a king king charles the third instead and yeah, they had to charles. know but they had to wait until the name was confirmed he had to confirm right. his name soon as soon as possible because uh because you can't swear that oath in general right, right? you can't swear you don't swear it to the crown in general right you swear That's it to a particular person. monarch particular person so they had to know then they had to know that right so he had to declare that he was going to be king charles the third and confirm that in order, and then the citizenship ceremony could could, re, continue. could, could continue. Yeah, and I, I I am really glad that there were some people, you know, in a citizenship ceremony, which is a pretty mundane affair. You know, they happen all the time, and you just mm-hmm. kind of shuffle down to the nearest office, and we just went downtown Hamilton, and right. uh, you know, pack a people in a kind of you know not especially notable room, uh-huh. and uh, uh, there's some workers there who. Um, you know, are really, really, you know, excited and it's great. And, and, and they make it a, they make it special for you, which is okay. as much as they can, which is good. But a lot of ways it's a bureaucratic function, but I really appreciate right. that, that there were people who had the good sense to recognize that, no, we can't just, cause you, you could easily yeah. just say, well, just, just finish. I mean, obviously right. there's some things up in the air right now. We just got to finish this thing. Just say it to queen Elizabeth. It's fine. You know, no big deal. But it is a big deal. You can't. She's not the queen anymore. And you can, and Nora, like you just said, can you just swear swear allegiance to the crown? It's it's a person, and that and that matters. It matters a lot. But but as I was saying there, like it's it's a bit shocking to my conscience in a lot of ways to hear people really attack um, not not just the fact that there's a symbolically, but her. You know, Queen Elizabeth yeah, II. Right. If she had was a really lousy queen. <laughs> you know, I may be more fair. You know, she was not, if she did not play the role as well as she did. Um, sure. And people could play right. this role much better and much, much worse. Uh, uh, but just to kind of ridicule someone who, 
at least in her public life. I mean, you brought up her as a mother, and that's something I don't know anything about. And um, I I don't watch The Crown. I don't I don't trust that kind of thing. I don't trust sure. the people who make those kinds of things to be sincere instead of just being salacious and trying to get us to you know read real because these are real people i'm am very very loath to get into that kind of thing i don't want right. other people necessarily manipulating what i think about real humans who've had real real struggles and real issues anyway but that's that's another bit of an aside but to to kind of go after somebody like that who's who's embodying things that i i don't know how you can really argue with the stuff that she embodied in her public life, the virtues right. that she embodied. How, like, where, what would you critique about the things that, in the, in terms of what she said, what she did, how she lived and behaved in her public life? You know, what would you say in there is just like not to be admired? It seemed to right. me to be just straightforwardly admirable <laughs> right yeah i and i don't have an answer to that question there's something that drives certain certain parts of our population or certain among us to go after that and and attack that and it, it does strike me as a uh, a pretty familiar demonic pattern you know to see yeah. the to see something that has the potential to bring us together uh it has the potential to yeah. put our focus our eyes on something virtuous uh, and to to go after that with ridicule, mockery, um, and you know dismissal, and all these other kind of rhetorical tactics, that just feels a lot like what happens inside my own, you know, self <laughs> when right. when I'm having a, an internal individual struggle between looking at the virtuous and looking at what's you know chaotic and disruptive and destructive. sort of thinking through thinking through the the issues a bit like what what is what is happening when people are critical that way and um i mean i think in terms of rituals like being critical of the ritualism for example um while you know necessarily it involves you know turning a blind eye to one's own rituals and the and the rituals that define one's own life uh, it is a is a kind of a way of forgetting. I'm just going to try a little train of thoughts here and see and see how it goes. Um, is a kind of way of of forgetting what what the, the ritual, uh, what the the liturgy that is the monarchy, right? What the sacramentality that is the monarchy is trying to do, which is, in a certain sense, to acknowledge that life. That life is defined and held together, and um, you know, and, and has its identity through ceremony and sacrament, and 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 that kind of thing, and for that very reason, uh, tries to assemble ceremonies and sacraments that 
that give that life meaning and purpose and direction and that kind of thing. Right. That's, that's exactly, you know, when, so when you're, when you're railing against, against ceremony and symbol, you're forgetting that, that the whole reason that's ceremonial and symbolic is because that's what life is like. And you need ceremonies and symbols in your life that are good, that draw you to the good, that draw you to order, that draw you to uh, unity with your brothers and sisters, that draw you into political unity, that draw you towards some orientation to the good, to the good life, to good citizenship, and so forth. Like that's how, you know, that's how lives are structured. And so, and, and so like when you rail, when you rail against it, I can't help, I mean, maybe it's a bit psychoanalytic, you know, psychoanalyzing of me, but I can't help, but, you know, it has this feel of, um, the same kind of feel like when people despise good things, I think, I mean, that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah. It's like when you look at something good and, and, um, but Kierkegaard called the demonic the anxiety of the good, anxiety towards the good. You see, you see something good, and it like makes you right, like it, or it makes you sneer, like, well, you know, well, it's all well and good for you, but you know, it's easy for it's easy for you to be good in that seat of privilege. And of course, you you completely bracket out that that the life, the privilege of the monarchy is is the the privilege of uh of consigning your entire life to the role right you do not get to have an identity as king other than as king right and charles even like he gave a little nod to that right it's like my life is going to change he said that in his first speech Mm -hmm. and that's right that's what happens right you're, you're, certainly, you're no longer Charles. He's no longer Charles, Prince of Wales. He's no longer Charles who can, who is. It's not the same person who can go around, you know, with his funny Charlesisms and and so forth. I mean, maybe not like he's still that's still that's still him, so to speak. But it's an entire. He has to subordinate entirely to the role now. Mm-hmm. Um, ah, I lost my train of thought here. But but the, but I, I think that's a that's a really it's an interesting thing to observe that impulse, uh, you know, even if you are being a little psychoanalytic, I mean, I think it's fine. I think that's, yeah, it, it's a, it's a very interesting psychological impulse to observe when we sneer at or make fun of the, yeah, what, what's good. I mean, it's basically the, it's like the cool kids in high school right, are like defined by this, you know, yes, fundamentally that's like right. mocking, anything virtuous, you know, yeah. as, you know, stupid and square and yeah. whatever. Anyone I'm who's sure smart, anyone who pays attention it, to their homework. Square, but, yeah. you know, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yes. like doing homework, right? Square. Yeah, reading a book. Uh, you that's know, right. Like, yeah, no, oh, that's you right. Know, you're, <laughs> oh, you're going to the art museum, you know, yeah. with your mom. Like, you're, you're a brown noser, you're in a teacher's yeah. pad and so forth. Yeah. Going to the art museum with your mom. Is a great thing to do. <laughs> I mean, the art museum is full of these amazing masterpieces that are like loaded with insight about what it yeah. means to be human. And you're spending time with your mom. <laughs> I mean, that's good. Like, this is just an end to end good day. Yeah. And maybe you had brunch, right? And it's that, it's, you're exactly right. It's that sneering 
at those at that sort of thing as like stupid and lame. Yeah. You know, one of the best things you could do with a Saturday afternoon is going to be ridiculed. And as as we as we mature, we probably I mean, we tend to do that less. You know, teenagers are notorious for that. But, yeah. you know, as, as we get older, we're not as bad about it. And we start to appreciate that that day with mom at the museum. But but we still do it sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> we still do it. I like, mm-hmm. I wonder where that comes from. I mean, I, to me, it seems like it's often driven by jealousy. You know, it's th- those kids are often very yeah. sadly the ones who, you know, in their heart of hearts, just so badly wish that they could have that kind of relationship with their mom to go to the art museum. You know? right. So they had, they, we have to mock it because we don't have it ourselves and we're jealous and angry yeah. about that. It's a layer of protection. Yeah. Right. It's a sour grapes ultimately is what it really is. It's like, right. Well, that's stupid to go do that anyway. So it's fine that I don't. Never you know? wanted to. I yeah. wouldn't even want to if I had the opportunity. Yeah. And of course the jealousy comes, uh, and the whole thing comes from pride, right? Like it's that. Yeah. Um, you, uh, yeah. To have put your, your desires for, for greatness Right. You think that you should you, you presume that you should be high enough that to see anyone elevated uh, towards the good or, you know, a good experience like that, uh, you know, you just find distasteful. You have yeah. it's it's it embitters, embitters you. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah. Well, and there and there may be some very genuine, you know, trauma and pain for some people as well who, who might attack the, the monarchy of the crown that. That's in a lot of ways understandable. Like, I mean, thinking about that analogy of the of the high school kid who makes fun of you for going to the museum with your mom, you know, as when you become an adult, when you're when you're young, you know, you might be hurt by that, and you, I don't know, you might get defensive, or you might you might. But the demonic pattern is to get pulled away and tell your mom you won't do it because you're right. gonna, you know, because now you want to be cool or whatever. That's that's right. when you start getting sucked into the vortex, um, but when you get older, you realize that, you know, that those kids, most of them, if not all of them, I mean, it's that kind of behavior is coming from just such a, such a place of pain. Like you just want to like put your arm around them, you know, as an adult now Mm -hmm. and say, you know, it's just somehow comfort them or fix, fix whatever or it was offer to go to the art museum with them. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> like if that, that's what you need, I'll let's yeah, go to the art museum. Yeah. And so, I mean, if there are those who attack the monarchy or see someone like a queen or, or a king who has a tremendous amount of privilege and fame, mm-hmm. money, um, a, a vo- a, not really a lot of political power, but a voice. I mean, her majesty met every week with the, Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. I mean, she could, she could speak. We don't really know what they ever said, but she right. had an ability to talk to political leaders and let them know what she thinks. And uh, and those are things that it's very easy to become deeply envious of. Uh, but yeah, some of that envy might just be good old fashioned human pride. A lot of it, I'm sure, is just right. just good old fashioned pride. Well, like basically, we're saying to ourselves that should be me. You know, and if it's not me, then it's not, you know, I, I'm not going to humble myself to some other person being able to do that. But, you know, some of it might be, you know, it's pretty, pretty sincere associations with, you know, colonialism and the various, um, you know, atrocities associated with that. I mean, I, I understand that. I have some patience for that, but it doesn't, yeah. 
it doesn't mean that that perspective is right either. I mean, the fact that your the the fact that your bitterness comes from a place of very understandable pain doesn't justify it. It gives me some patience with you, you know. If we're if we're talking, um, it you know it, it's like that kid. You, it makes me want to. It makes me want to help, but you're still wrong, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's right. Well, I mean, it does lead me to ask a, a question. Although I wonder if it might be better to ask it after uh, after the break. We're still doing yeah. breaks. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I think what I what I what I'd like to get into. I mean, you're coming out as really pro, uh, you know, pro monarchy. I mean, I guess kind of the question is. Um, you know, I'll t- anticipate it now, see if we can, we can hone it a bit, but you're coming out as, as pretty poor monarchy. Is this, is it just because she happened to be a good queen or is there something about the monarchical system as such that, you know, can, you know, people can be critical of this aspect or that, but to, but to want to, it sounds like what you're saying is that to, to want to overcome and you know undermine the monarchy uh, and dismantle it altogether, that you, that you don't think there's a legit there you know there's a legitimate argument against against it. That no, which seems to be saying in that that the monarchy is somehow uh, you know if not a necessary, at least a kind of essential human political structure. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I am a monarchist. I'm a constitutional monarchist, um, much more than I'm a royalist, actually. Uh, and what the, those terms mean is uh, the monarchist position is a matter of political theory. Uh, the royalist right. is someone who's, you know, a big fan of the royal family, a big fan of Her Majesty or whatever. His Majesty follows them and thinks they're great and collects memorabilia and this kind of thing. Um, I have a very mild royalist streak because I, I really liked Elizabeth a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, no, my my views as a monarchist are are much more. Uh, I mean, it's as as a matter of political theory. No, I I do think that. And you, know, it's really kind of interesting. I mean, I we we can definitely take this back up in the second half to kind of unpack why. Although I think we've touched on a lot of the reasons already, really. Um, but. Uh, it was it was reading um, legendary anarchist uh, David Graeber, uh, his work, which I very much appreciated. I, I thought I think Graeber was a was a great mind, uh, mm-hmm. a, a really interesting conversation partner. I had some disagreements with him, but um, well worth reading. You, you know, serious and thoughtful person. Uh, but he's an anarchist. Uh, was uh, an anarchist and. Uh, it's very interesting. The same kind of set of problems that that led him toward that um, really hammered me down as a as a monarchist, a constitutional yeah, monarchist. I mean, it, to any American listeners, you know, <laughs> my American family are like, "What are you talking about? You think there should be a a king who just decides everything?" I'm like, no, <laughs> that I'm not an absolute. I don't support an absolute monarchy. I mean, I consider that ridiculous, but. Uh, um, but yeah, as, uh, monarchy as it's practiced in Canada and, and the UK and in many countries still, the Netherlands and a lot of parts of the world still. Um, yeah, I think 
I think there's very, very serious merits to that as a political system. Uh, if, from a Christian point of view, I think there's a capacity for there to be a bit of an intersection there between all of this stuff we're talking about, symbol, sacrament, virtue, and therefore ultimately the divine that I don't think Republican systems have. So we can, we can unpack, we can yeah, unpack let's that in the next half. Yeah, yeah. Let's unpack that. And I think part, an aspect of that conversation that, that um, I think may flow naturally, but um, I want to get at one way or another is the relation between this, mo- this particular monarch, this particular monarch and, and the church of England. Yeah. I was going to, I was right. going to raise that as well. So yeah, we can jump into that too. Let's uh, let's talk because I think there is something. I mean, there's something in there that's worth thinking about in terms of the model, how it expresses a, a certain model of 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 relation between church and state. That I yeah. think is worth is worth thinking about. Absolutely. All right. Well, I'll see you over in the second half then, Greg. See you there, Dan. Okay, thank you everyone for listening to the first half of this episode of the Men Among Demons podcast and viewing us on YouTube if you're doing that as well. Uh, as always, uh, you can join us in the second half at patreon.com slash menamongdemons. And this is a little taste of what you'll hear in the second half today. Humans are just the kind of creature... That right. has to do. That has to have ritual. It's also like it's just yeah. foundational to who we are, and so to kind of think of a political system that tries to disdain, and this is back to something you were saying before, like if you're trying to disdain r- political ritual or any kind of ritual, you're being disingenuous because you just have different ones. All right, Greg, I will see you over there. You betcha. Your support makes this podcast possible. Find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash menamongdemons for exclusive content and to join the conversation. 